All right, guys. So one thing that's been true about Redemption Church from the beginning is that people have always been in a place of transition here. So people have transitioned from high school to college. People have started college and then graduated. Lots of people have had their first kid, have gotten married, and have entered a new season of life. And as I've talked to a lot of you, as you're going through those different transitions, I think one thing that's true is there's a sense of insecurity and there can be a lot of questions. And maybe you're explicitly asking this or maybe you're more implicitly asking this and it's even invisible to you. You're kind of asking the question, who do I follow in this season of my life? And I remember that feeling when I was a freshman in college, I thought I was pretty sweet. I thought I was pretty independent. I thought everything was gonna be great. And then I got about two months of being on my own in my dorm room. And I remember sitting there homesick and feeling like I do not know how to be an adult human being and live life in this season. And I once was confident but then got into that new season of life, got into that new transition, and realized I didn't have life figured out. And I think throughout life, as we go through different transitions and we go through different struggles and we have different periods of suffering, at different times, we're all asking the question, who do I follow? And there's lots of people that are saying, you should follow me. And we're going to hear Jesus hopefully drown out that chorus of voices and look us in the eye this morning and he's simply going to say to us, follow me. And we're gonna see three reasons in the text why we ought to follow Jesus. The first one is that Jesus is complete. Look with me at John chapter one starting with verse 35, going to 39. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Okay, you notice the text starts with those three words, the next day. On the previous day, John the Baptist had said for the first time, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But apparently, his disciples didn't get it. And so it's the next day, Jesus walks by, John points at him and says, behold the lamb. And this time, they get it. Oh, you want us to follow him, not you. Now, John's message up until this point had been, I'm just a voice crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way for Jesus. And he was repeatedly saying, I am not the Christ. What happens here is super simple. John's disciples, who had been following him for years, hear him say, behold the lamb, 
they immediately stop following him and start following Jesus. That's remarkable. Most of the time, when you're a leader and people have been following you, you want their continued allegiance. So why would John point them in that direction and why would they so immediately follow after Jesus and leave following John? I think part of it is the content of John's message. Behold the lamb. Now, if you read up anything on John the Baptist, here's what you realize quickly about him. He is everything but a lamb. He loves talking about repentance. He calls people broods of vipers. He is very prophetic. He is very straightforward. He is very hardcore. He is like the old school David Platt. All right, he would write the book Radical. He's radical. He's calling you to repent. And so I think what happened psychologically for his disciples is he's like, behold the lamb. And they're like, finally, a lamb. You're a lion, kind of a jerk. We want to follow somebody who's kind and gentle, not just somebody who's bold and courageous. And here's what we see in Jesus. We see that where every other leader that we would potentially follow has strengths and weaknesses, Jesus only has strength. Jesus is the complete package. So a leader, whether religious or political, a teacher, a parent, a spouse, can lead you, they can only take you so far until you realize that they have just as many weaknesses as strengths, you become disillusioned and you start looking for another leader. And whether implicitly by their behavior or explicitly, every leader eventually has to say, I am not your savior. I can only take you so far. I can only do so much. And so what we see John explicitly doing in this text is saying, I am like a sign who is pointing to your true leader, but I am not your true leader. That's what every leader from a human perspective is. So here's what we're like if we give our full allegiance to any leader outside of Jesus. It's like you drive into the state of Minnesota, and you know you see that giant welcome to Minnesota sign. No matter which angle you come in, you're gonna see one of those big signs. Now imagine that you see one of those signs, and you foolishly think, I've arrived. So you pull your friends or your family over by that sign, and you sit by the sign, and you have a picnic by the sign, and you enjoy a week by the sign. And let's say you are from some other place and somebody's like, how was the state of Minnesota? It was great. What did you see there? Well, we didn't see much. Kind of just was a big sign. I mean, we saw the coast, we saw all these different things and it was fine, but it wasn't as great as we thought it would be. And they come to realize that you never got past the sign. Like the sign is just a sign. 
You didn't go to the North Shore. You didn't go to the Mall of America. You didn't go to a Vikings game. You didn't see anything in the state of Minnesota. You just stood by the sign. Guys, every human leader is like that sign. And if you give your allegiance to anyone other than Jesus, you will end up deeply disappointed and disillusioned. I think so much church hurt and disillusionment or political hurt and disillusionment comes from this critical error. People stop short. Political leaders, church leaders, whoever it is, can only make promises, but they cannot fully fulfill them. Only Jesus can do that. Here's what I want to ask you. Who are you bitter towards, frustrated with, angry at, disillusioned by, or hurt by? Because I think you might find the true leader that you've been giving your allegiance to. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a church leader. Maybe it's a friend. And you gave this person your heart, and you said, I'm going to follow after you. And they left you in the dust. They didn't come through for you. Maybe that person wasn't meant to meet your needs. And maybe their failure to meet your needs leaves you in your seat right now, ready to hear Jesus. And maybe the purpose of human leaders is to say, I'm not the Christ. Maybe it's to say, you need the Lamb of God. Maybe Jesus is calling you to follow him today. Okay, so the first thing we see in the text is that Jesus is complete. Where other human leaders let us down, he comes through for us. The second thing we see in the text is that Jesus is dignifying. Look at John 1, verses 40 through 42. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, the son of John you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, this is interesting. Jesus is having a one-on-one conversation with somebody that he just met. So Andrew is one of John's disciples. He's so excited to be following Jesus. He believes that Jesus is the long-anticipated Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the Lamb of God. He's exhausted with following after John the Baptist. He's pumped to be following Jesus. So he goes home to tell his brother who he's found. And he says to him, listen, John the Baptist was pointing us toward the Christ. I found the Christ. And he brings Simon to Jesus. And this 
next interaction would have shocked Andrew. Because Jesus refers to Simon as Cephas, or Peter, which means rock. Okay, he changes his name on the spot. You're no longer going to be called Simon. You're going to be called Rock. The Rock. It's a great nickname, isn't it? But here's the reason that Andrew would have been shocked by that. Peter was anything but a rock. Like, we'll get to know Peter throughout the Gospel of John. And everything that you'll learn about Peter, you're like, I think Jesus got the name wrong. Because Peter is one of those ready, shoot, aim guys. He's impulsive. He speaks out of turn. He is the first one to jump onto the water and literally walk on the water. He's also the first one to say, I will never deny you, Jesus. And then ends up immediately denying Jesus. He is a noodle. That would be a better nickname for him. But here's what Jesus is able to do that other human leaders are not able to do fully. He is able to look past the ways that the fall and the lies that Peter has believed and his family upbringing and his temperament and his bad decisions have distorted him. And he is able to look into the very core of his being and to see the person that Peter was created. See, this is not a mere human leader looking someone in the eyes. This is the creator God, the word, who spoke into existence everything that exists, who formed Peter in his mother's womb, and he is looking at him, and he is saying, contrary to what your life is telling you, contrary to what your experience has been, I made you to be a rock. I made you to be the person by whom I would bring my glory and fame into this world. I made you to be a leader in my church. I made you to boldly proclaim the gospel of grace. I made you to raise up leaders. I have a destiny for your life that goes beyond the ways that you have been distorted by the fall. Not I believe in you. This is way beyond that. I made you. You're mine. And I know exactly who you are. And when Jesus tells you who you are, he is right. And you have no right to say, no, I'm not that. Because Jesus doesn't make junk. And so he's looking at Peter and he's telling him exactly who he is. Have you ever had somebody do this for you? Somebody becomes the mouthpiece of God. Maybe they don't even know that they're the mouthpiece of God, and they speak life into you in a trajectory-setting way for your life. 
I remember such a moment for me when I was in eighth grade. I had been on a retreat with my church. And there were a couple people on that retreat who for the first time asked me the question if I was a Christian. Because I wasn't really into the Bible and you know, singing the worship songs. I was more into the girls and playing pranks. So question was justified at that point. But I remember it was a very emotional moment for me because no one had ever asked me the question whether I was actually a follower of Jesus. I had just assumed I was because of my family. And I remember coming home from that retreat and asking my dad where I should start reading in the Bible. And my dad said, I think you should start reading in the book of Romans. And I remember going up to my room and just sitting down and for the first time, starting at the beginning of a book of the Bible and reading to the end of that book of the Bible. And I came back down to my dad's office and I said, I read it. And my dad said, what was it about? And I started at the beginning of the book and I explained it to my dad. Now, I'm in eighth grade, I was a C student, and I was just asked the question, are you a Christian? And I didn't really know. And my dad looked at me in that moment, and he said, that's what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And I was like, crap. (laughs) Seriously, like, I don't wanna do that. Like, I wanna play in in the NBA, like, (laughs) that stinks. What was my dad saying in that moment? I see who God's made you to be. I see beyond the squirrely, barely having gone through puberty kid. I see beyond the ways that you're broken. I see to who God has made you to be. And because I'm seeing that, I'm speaking that into your life. Guys, what Jesus has to say about you is all that matters. And all of us in our crazy society where so many people are clamoring for our followership and we are so inundated with information about who we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to eat, what we're supposed to wear, what our habits are supposed to be, where we're supposed to travel, who we're not supposed to hang out with, what we're supposed to post on social media and what we're not supposed to post on social media how to be cool, how to avoid certain traps so that we're not cool. In that type of world, we need somebody to tell us who we are. I liken the society we live in to a carnival of mirrors. You know, it's like in one mirror, you're short and fat. In another mirror, you're tall and thin. And you can lose your mind in the society that we live in. And so we need to get into the word of God. We need to ask Jesus, but who do you say that I am? We need our dignity, our worth, and our value to come 
not from the changing tides of opinion in our society, but from the living God. And he will dignify you. He will tell you who you are. I'm not saying that the identity that he gives you will make your life easy, but he will give you the best possible life a person can have. A life on mission for Jesus. A life of self-forgetfulness and worship of your creator king. Okay, so Jesus is complete and Jesus is dignifying. And finally, we follow Jesus because Jesus is captivating. Look with me at verses 43 through 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So it's the next day. Jesus walks by a man named Philip, who's from the same little town that Andrew and Simon are from. He says to him, follow me. Philip quickly comes to the same conclusion that Andrew did, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the long-awaited Messiah. And so, he does what we all do when we get excited about someone that we are following, we tell our best friend. And so he goes and he tells his friend Nathaniel. Now Nathaniel is a little bit different than Simon. Nathaniel's a skeptic. And so Nathaniel asks the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nazareth was a small Hicktown. And so naturally, he's like, seriously? The Messiah? Talking about like the guy that we've been waiting for as a nation for hundreds of years is from Nazareth. Now, Philip wisely doesn't argue with Nathaniel at this point. He just says, come and see. And so they're walking toward And Jesus says, behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. 
In a similar way that he knew Peter, he knows Nathaniel. Nathaniel was an honest person. He was guileless. He was a person who kept his word. And Jesus says, I know who you are. And then he says something to him that's a little bit of a mystery in the text, but I think we can fill in the gaps. He says, I saw you under the fig tree. And I think what we can see is that for Nathaniel, there was a moment that he had, probably in prayer to God, where he was desperate. And he happened to be sitting under a fig tree in that moment. And he was probably pouring his heart out to God about something negative that he had experienced in his life. It was a moment where God met him, where God connected with him, where God transformed his life. And here's what Jesus is saying to him. You were talking to me under the fig tree. That moment that you had that was private, that was just between you and God, where you were pouring your heart out to him, I heard you talking because I'm God. And so Nathaniel says, I'm not a doubter anymore. I'm a believer. And Jesus says something that keeps the conversation going. Doesn't stop the conversation there. He doesn't just say, okay, keep following me. He says, you're going to see more amazing things than this. See, he's saying to Nathaniel, I'm not just going to dignify you. I'm not just going to tell you who you are at the core of your being. I don't just hear your prayers when you're not present with me. I am going to do amazing things in your presence. And then he says something that Nathaniel would have understood as a Jew who was faithful to do his daily Old Testament readings. He says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, in Hebrew, the way that you give emphasis to something is through repetition. So we see this in Isaiah chapter six, when Isaiah says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Here, Jesus is giving emphasis to what he's saying by repeating the word truly twice. Truly, truly. This is your destiny. This is what's going to happen. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man, which immediately, Nathaniel's mind would have been like, wait, this sounds like Genesis 28. This sounds like something that I read early on in Genesis. Look with me. The verses will be on the screens. Verses 12 through 15. This is part of Jacob's story. Jacob, who would later be called Israel. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, 
I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Now Jacob had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a ladder that reached to heaven. And angels were ascending and descending on that ladder. And he knew that God was speaking to him and saying, through this ladder, you have access to me. Here's what Jesus is saying to Nathaniel. I'm the ladder. I give you access to God. I am a bridge between heaven and earth. So what you're going to see if you follow me is you are going to see my kingdom come and my will be done. You are going to see heaven descend onto earth through my ministry. And the promises that were made to Abraham and were made to Jacob are going to be fulfilled for you. See, in the Israelite mindset, what they wanted was they wanted offspring, they wanted a land. And through offspring and a land, they experienced the blessing of God. And Jesus is saying to Nathaniel, I'm going to give you true descendants. Descendants who hear the word of God through your life and come to faith in me and follow me to the promised land. Not this piece of land that we're standing on right now, but the true promised land, a better promised land, an enduring promised land, a heavenly promised land. The promised land that Abraham was really longing for. See, the kings and the prophets of the Old Testament in a shadowy way gave you hope that things would get better. And Jesus is saying, I have the power to make things better. You've got to follow after me. Now we're often asking the question, what is the cost of following after Jesus? And we'll get there. It's good to count the cost. But I think the question that this text begs is not that one. It's the question, what is the cost of not following Jesus? Can you imagine if in this moment, instead of following after Jesus, Nathaniel had been like, nah, like, I'm gonna go back to what I was doing before. Like, this isn't gonna be worth it. Like angels ascending, descending, you fulfilling the Old Testament, eh, whatever. I'm gonna go on doing my own thing. He would have missed out on Jesus turning water to wine. Jesus walking on 
top of the water. Water skiing with no boat. Amazing. We think barefoot skiing is amazing. Jesus, no boat, barefoot. Walking, not skiing. Healing people. Telling people that their sins are forgiven. And ultimately, defying death. Dying and rising from death. You can't say no to this. This should leave you with like the ultimate FOMO moment right now. If I don't follow Jesus, what will I miss? Have you ever gotten an offer that you can't refuse? I remember, I've shared this before, but it's totally worth sharing again. I love talking about this. Seventh grade, my Uncle Bill called me. This was uh, in 1998. And he called me and said, Drew, I have an extra ticket to game three of the NBA Finals between the Bulls and the Jazz. You know, last dance, all that. I was there, okay? Calls me, 19th row. He worked for the Chicago Sun-Times. He's got an extra ticket because he's entertaining a client, and the client had a son who was about my age, And so he needed me to be there so that he could seal the deal. Now, this is a thing. Can you imagine, as a seventh grade boy who idolized Michael Jordan, who had rooted for the Chicago Bulls since I was, you know, in first grade, can you imagine the possibility of getting that phone call and me saying, nah, got other plans? Like, it's such a clear decision. Yes! Of course, I am going to follow you to that game. Guys, following Jesus is such an easy decision. At the end of the day, your creator is saying to you, I got you. This is the best possible life that you can live. And yes, there is great cost to following Jesus, but there is even greater cost to not following Jesus. And I want to scare you with that cost because I don't want you to miss out. The best possible college experience you can have is not following after your lusts and your own desires. The best possible parenting experience you can have is not giving in to yourself and doing whatever you want to do. The best possible marriage experience is not selfishly looking into yourself and after your own desires and living for yourself. It's following after Jesus. And no matter what season or what stage of life that you're in, the best possible, most captivating, most amazing life that you can have is following after. And we will continue to see the evidence of that throughout the gospel of John. How do we know? Here's how we know. Think about the people that we follow. Think about why people in the world are trying to gain followers. You know, it's a lucrative business to have followers. Right? We see this with Instagram influencers. 
right? Making millions of dollars off of who? Off of their followers. Why are they trying to get followers? It's not about what they can give to you. It's about what you can give to them. They want you to follow them because you are useful to them. The cost is paid by you. Jesus is the only person who you can follow who does not want you to follow him because you are useful to him. He wants you to follow him because he wants to give his life for you. See, Jesus did not come to be served by us, but to serve us and to give his life as a ransom for us. The moment that Jesus stepped on the earth, he gained nothing and gave everything. He gave up heaven to come to earth. There is no hidden agenda here. It's all gain for you. It's all loss for him. And it's because he loves you. It's pure. Come, follow Jesus with me. Let's pray. Jesus, in a world of mirrors, where in one mirror we're short and fat and in another mirror we're tall and skinny, where people are clamoring for us to follow, whether it's follow their clothing brand or following their music or following their speaking circuit or even following their ministry, God, where people are constantly using us and where we get that because we're in some way using others. Thank you that here is a singular voice speaking through your word and that you, without an agenda other than love, are saying to us, come follow. And God, I pray for those Simons in the room right now who have been so broken down by life broken down by their own brokenness, their own family story, their own decisions and the consequences of of foolishness and sin and also sin that's been committed against them, God, that they would hear you loud and clear. Jesus, would you look people in the eyes of their heart and would you say to them, You are my son. You are my daughter. You shall no longer be called Simon, but shall be called Peter. You are a rock. Would you recapture their lives with dignity and purpose and glory? Would you captivate us? Would you captivate this city with the glory of your name? In Jesus' name.